I'm Katie. And I'm Coley. Welcome to the SVU Coven podcast, Little Witch Detectives. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, you know. <laughs> uh. What? No, it's been a day. I completely forgot I was still logged into the podcast on Anchor. That's why... <laughs> It's funny because when you do that and you join, it tells me that you've joined and then you say something and then you're always like, oh, and then you, you <laughs> and I can hear it, but I can't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. We're still figuring out how to, how to podcast. Yes. So. <laughs> or we should um, say how to podcast together. Yeah. How to podcast together. <laughs> um. Hopefully, one day, I'm just going to actively manifest this now, we'll get to record together in person. Yes. And then there won't be all of this, like, craziness. I was 45 minutes away from you this weekend at one point. I And know. I was so sad that I was only in Atlanta for two, like, hours. Not even. Yeah, I know. We, if I would have known, because you told me that you were there, like after you arrived but if i would have known i could have done a sneaky sneak into the airport and like come to see you (laughs) that would have been amazing but yeah coley went on a fancy retreat last weekend so she was what is it called um doing a layover in atlanta yeah i had a layover in atlanta yeah so she was like hey i'm here and i sent her my location and i was like oh you're like half an hour away from me (laughs) yeah i digress well anyway welcome to the svu coven podcast welcome back yes welcome back Um, it feels like it's been forever since we've recorded a full episode yeah i know know. it's only been our usual two weeks but i think (laughs) it's because i was on retreat it just feels like a lot longer yeah, and I think also with having the week in between where we don't record, it makes it seem like to us that it's been a long time. Yeah. Um, but it really it really hasn't. But I feel like every single time we're like, wow, it's been so long. Yeah. Oh, um, but a lot has happened since we last recorded. That's the downside to recording um, every other week is that a lot happens and we don't get to talk about it right away. We have, we wait for, you know, that week. So we're going to start on a little bit of a somber note today. And that is um, acknowledging Supreme court justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing away on September 18th from complications of pancreatic cancer. Yeah, it's um it was a rough one. Oh yeah. Sure. It's also uh, worth noting that she had pancreatic cancer, but this was her second time having it. Mhm. That's what I was about to say was that it kind of felt like she was that person that kept walking up to death's door and then slamming it. She was like, "No, it's not it's not my time to go." Yeah. Um so it was kind of, like I knew that she was dealing with this and that it was happening and um it just didn't seem real when the announcement went went out last saturday last friday friday 
that they yeah um I know it just I received so many text messages and sent so many text messages to the women in my life of like just it felt so heavy yeah um it was a similar heaviness, not quite the same, but a similar heaviness to earlier in the year when Chadwick Boseman passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, man, it just sucks. And, you know, um, she was so pivotal, pivotal, and, but particularly the feminist movement. Um, and it's just crazy. I always, I always told Houston, my boyfriend, that, our next rabbit that we get, we're going to name Ruth Bunny Ginsburg. Oh, that's cute. Um, yeah. And so now after everything, I was like, we're for sure doing that. Yeah. Like that is, that is what. <laughs> no thing. question Even about it. Boy. <laughs> no, if, ands, or buts. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is what's happening. No, if, ands, um, or bunny butts. <laughs> exactly. But uh, we just wanted to take a moment to talk about her and how much we love her and how sad we are now that she's gone. But I hope that her passing is not in vain and we really start to see progress. Yes. And it's also worth noting how important Ruth Bader Ginsburg was to Olivia Benson in later seasons. If you look as she gets promoted, spoiler alerts, um, In her office, she has, like, little statues of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, portraits, everything in her office. I think she has a framed photo of RBG on her desk. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I think it's, like, I'm going to give away spoilers if I say what I want to say. I think it's, like, Noah and RBG, and, like, that's it. (laughs) Ah, it's so cute. Um... So obviously RBG is a huge role in Olivia Benson's life as well as our lives. Yeah. So, you know, crazy. It's just crazy. I mean, it, she was one of those people like Betty White to me that I just feel like is going to dance on forever. You know, I'm not going to be okay when Betty White dies. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> I saying. Like talked about this on the podcast before. It's but possible, like... but like when she goes, I'm gonna be not okay <laughs> because my first SVU was Golden Girls, and like yeah. the rest of them died, and Betty White's the only one left. So like, I will not be okay. <laughs> yeah, for real. Oh, goodness. Um, but anyway moment of silence for rbg we love you yes and i hope you're kicking it up there or down there or wherever there that you happen to be um and yeah everybody light a candle for her if you're listening to this right now yes um but moving on to some some less sad news uh i just want to plug our patreon again if you didn't know we started a patreon page uh it's patreon.com slash svu coven and you get a ton of behind the scenes exclusive stuff if you subscribe as well as a tarot reading once a month from one of us we only have one tier right now it's starting at five dollars however that five dollar rate is negotiable so if you shoot us a dm at svu coven and you can't afford to pay the five dollars and you want to do something less we will work with you um you know, it's kind of just a way for you to get to see more behind the scenes content from us mm-hmm. about the podcast. 
and also for us to dip our toes in some more witchy stuff because these podcasts are rather SVU heavy, which is why we're here, what we love, but we also, you know, we're a coven and we want to be one. So yeah. um, if you're interested in furthering your covenship with us, head to patreon.com slash SVU coven. Um, we're excited to start doing stuff on patreon we haven't officially started yet so if you jump in now you'll be kind of hitting the ground running with us on it so it's super exciting and i just want to share that with you very briefly and now we can move on (laughs) yes so we got a question on instagram today that we wanted to answer (laughs) um and the question was just asking us to talk about different kinds of witchy divination i actually knew a little bit about divination so i knew a couple of them but i looked them up just to see if like there was some that i was missing and oh boy was there some i was missing (laughs) (laughs) well it's interesting because in my entire like practice as a witch i know there's stuff that i do that falls under this realm but Mm -hmm. i didn't know what this i didn't know what divination meant like, I have right. no idea what that, that word meant. So um, I'm excited to jump into it. Yes. So first, divination comes from a Latin word that means to, to foresee or to predict. So it's essentially anything that predicts the future or sees what the future holds. Um, mm-hmm. So the ones I'm going to talk about, because there are so many, I have like six, seven, eight, nine. I have nine, and that's not even like a tenth of what what is there. It's crazy. Um, So I have astrology down, which both of us are familiar with. Um, And that's Mm -hmm. just... um, divination by means of celestial bodies this one i thought was really interesting brontomancy or brontoscopy um which is divination by thunder which i thought was really interesting <laughs> like i want to look more into it um caromancy which is divination by melting wax and the most common way to do this is to obviously light a candle and melt the wax um <laughs> and then uh pour the the molten wax into cold water and read the shapes that it it becomes. Oh yeah, yeah. that's cool. Um then there's taromancy which is tarot card reading which we both do. Um there's videomancy which is divination by films which is interesting. I had never heard of that before, and I want to look into that as a former film major. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then there's scrying, which is divination by gazing, and there's different kinds of scrying. So there's cata... I don't know. There's scrying in mirrors. (laughs) Um, Gotcha. And I can't pronounce how to say it, and I apologize. And then there's gastromancy, which is scrying into a crystal ball, which is what you, the stereotypical, like, psychic uses. Um, if you are using a crystal ball, though, make sure you cover it with a cloth after you're done 
so the sun doesn't hit it and set your house on fire. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's hydromancy, which is scrying by water. Yeah, so I um, I was just picturing, so if you follow us or if you look at our logo, we actually have a crystal ball as one of our emojis that we mm-hmm. use. Um, I don't have a crystal ball myself, but I do uh, have a friend that does, and she actively practices with that. And so I've seen it before, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. And then uh, as far as tarot and astrology go, you guys know Little Witch Detectives that we really, (laughs) like, fuck with that. So we do a lot of stuff in that realm. Um, Leave us a comment if you want us to roast Olivia Benson's chart because we'll do it. (laughs) But also the water scrying, I didn't realize there was a term for that, but that's something I actively do because I practice very specifically with spells and intention work with water. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's really cool. I'm excited to learn more about that because I, I figured out a lot of my witchcraft practice is things that I'm drawn to doing, but I don't know the history or the terminology for it. Yeah. Like I never knew there were words for it. So that is really interesting. And I'm really excited that we got that question. Me too. (laughs) So, yeah, thank you for looking that up and teaching us today. Of course. Awesome. Well, if you have any more witchy questions, we're going to, you know, part of the Patreon, too, is that we're going to be doing Q&As. So, witchy questions are always welcome. Yes. Um, SVU Coven on all social media. And by all, I mean Instagram and Facebook. And then uh, you can email us at svucoven at gmail.com with any questions that you have. And we're always learning and educating each other constantly. Yes. So, um, but yeah, one last thing before we get to our self-love affirmation. Um, I just wanted to plug a project that I recently joined called Project Reveille. Uh I am their editorial and social media manager at the moment, and uh, they have a really cool Patreon that focuses a lot on manifesting, but also every week I do a tarot reading as well as we talk about music because Project Reveille is really music-based. So if you're interested in the intersection between music and manifestation and a little bit of magic, check out Project Reveille on Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. Uh, just a little self promo because I'm really excited to start working with them. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely. Okay. Okay. So, well. into our self love affirmation we go. And this yeah. week, our self love affirmation is self care isn't selfish. And um, I've heard this a lot over the past couple weeks, but. Um, I, as we've said earlier, I was on retreat this past week, um, this past weekend, and we all brought each other little gifts. So someone brought like sticky notes and a pen and a sticker, and the sticker says self-care isn't selfish. And that's now on my um, laptop. <laughs> um, so I just felt like that was kind of like a sign. So I invite you, Little Witch Detectives, to incorporate this into your daily self-care practice. And you should be doing something for yourself every day. 
Yeah, I think uh, when you hear self-care, you kind of think of it as a buzzword. Yeah. Because over the past couple years, we've seen it, like, skyrocket. But the thing about it is people taking time for themselves is not a bad thing. Exactly. Uh, I argue internally with myself because I'm a product of hustle culture. Everyone in my family and how I was raised, it's you go to college, you get a job, and you work until you die, basically. Yeah. Um, and for me, someone who's a lot more free spirited, I guess I have a lot of trouble with anxiety. And when the reason I'm a freelancer is because I'm able to channel that anxiety and make my own schedule and do what works for me. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't always look like a 40 plus hour, nine to five work week. Sometimes I wake up at 11 and I work until four and I call it a day. It just kind of, you know, it works out for me because it's a schedule that I can get behind and I'm a lot less anxious and less stressed. And because of that, I have a lot more free time. Um, It doesn't always feel like free time because things come up. If you're a freelancer, you know, sometimes you're working till the middle of the night by accident and that's just how it happens. But I take a lot of time for myself because I know it's what helps with my anxiety. Um, And so when I, the first time I saw self-care, self-care isn't selfish was on Jesse Page's merch. She's a YouTuber Mm -hmm. and she had some merch that said that a few years back and it resonated with me. I know I'm talking, just going off on a tangent about this, but no, go for it. It resonated with it resonated with me because I was like, it isn't selfish. It isn't selfish to take the time for yourself that you need. And if you struggle with an anxiety disorder, especially you need to be able to actively take care of yourself. Yeah. Um, and I have this battle with myself of like, no, I'm supposed to be working a nine to five and I'm supposed to be stressed out all the time. And I'm supposed to come home and want to go straight to bed and I'm supposed to do all these things, but I'm not, I don't have to do anything. Yeah. So it's, it's, I feel selfish when I take that time for myself, but having a reminder, a self-love affirmation like this one is a good thing to say to yourself when you have those moments of like, oh, I should be doing this. Oh, I should be doing that. Like whatever. Just remind yourself that you don't have to do anything but what's good for you. Yeah. And it's also important to remember that self-care isn't always bubble baths and face masks. Sometimes it's just making sure you eat three meals a day. Right. That's another thing that I feel like gets overhyped is the like, oh, go to Target and get a face mask and some rosé and take a bath. And I'm like, I hate all of those things. I (laughs) love that you just said to get rosé from target because you're not allowed to do that here really you're not so the only places that are allowed to sell alcohol are liquor stores um there is one exception that i've ever seen in my entire life in jersey and that is a garden store down where i used to live that also sold beer that's really interesting because you think it would be the opposite since i live in the south yeah but, <laughs> but literally, um, southern people like everywhere, <laughs> everywhere else that I've ever been, you've been able to walk into like a corner store and like pick up a bottle of wine, mm-hmm. but not in Jersey. 
Yeah, no, you can get beer at Quick Trip down here. <laughs> yeah, no. That's crazy. Yeah. I just picture the self-care girls, like, walking into Target, you know, spending way too much money on shit they don't need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. But, yeah, definitely have a, take a moment to yourself every day. Just even if it's just a moment to just like chill and check in with yourself because self-care doesn't have to be taking a bubble bath, you know? Exactly. Um, (sighs) so should we get into the episode? Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) So the summary comes from IMDB again. Um, And it says two underage models are attacked, raped, and killed. The detectives identify the background details of the modeling business. Uh, So just before we start this episode, I want to take a moment and give a little trigger warning for which detectives. There is a lot of talk in this episode about eating disorders. As someone who suffers with an eating disorder myself, I... um, while I'm in recovery, I still have triggering thoughts all the time, and this episode does include a lot of talk about it that can be particularly triggering, even for someone who is recovering or recovered. Uh, so just, you know, do with that what you will. If that's something that's upset, click off of this episode and go listen to one of our mini-sode meditations. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's also important to note that some of the talk of the eating disorders is a little bit crass we'll get into that Mm -hmm. but just you know so it's out there yeah I feel like that's important too but I don't really know yeah some of it is it's meant to be humorous I think yeah um and it's also the late 90s. Yes. So we're going back to that uh, language in the late 90s, early 2000s was a little bit different than it is now. Yep. So just, yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> so we start out with an older woman getting out of an ambulance saying she has all these different diseases. She sounds like a hypochondriac to me. Um, yeah. And then... In the background, there's a horn honking, and when an EMT goes to check it out, um, someone throws this girl out of a dark SUV and speeds away. We're then in the hospital very quickly (laughs) with Olivia and Elliot there, and the victim's name is Teresa Burgess. Um, She was beaten and raped and had an apparent amphetamine overdose. Yes. Yes. And um, they also confirmed that she's a model. Yes. um, And she's currently in a coma. So she didn't pass away. She's just in a coma at the moment. Um, They, so I I can't remember if this is the part where they find out if somebody knows her or not. No, that's when we're back in the squad room. Okay. So at the at the present moment, they can't really find anyone that knows who she is. Um, and then we go back to the squad room. We go right? back to the because... squad room. And we're going over the details of the case. And Jeffrey says it's somebody who knows her. 
um, because her face, breasts, and genitals were all mutilated, which says, I'm going to erase you. But then she's dropped off at the ER. So it's someone who cares about her in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, because it seemed like she, it was almost like meticulous. Yeah. Like they were being careful in a way. Yeah. Um, not staged necessarily, but just particular. Yeah. Um, and they brought her to the ER. And the, like, you know, yeah, they brought her there. Yeah. Um, um, it's a pretty common, I don't know what the statistic is, but I know it's a pretty common statistic that a, a lot of uh, sexual assault victims tend to know the person that tend to know the abuser. It's something um, like 90%. Yeah. Yeah. So that's important to keep in mind too, especially as someone who watches SVU or listens to this podcast. Yes. You know. um, All right. So they find out that the victim's dad was home while his daughter was out. And it, they say roaming the streets, but we later find out she was at a photo shoot um, at 3 a.m. Um, for work. For work, yes. Uh, <laughs> Jeffrey's in court. Um, it's the quote-unquote rape man comic book case. Yes, so... Um... I believe at this point, Jeffries is telling Cragen that she has to be in court that day because of a rape man case, which we'll delve into a little bit later. Um, It was, it's about comic books and the comic book quote, superhero quote is named rape man, which is awful. Um, But I fangirl over this scene all the time because Munch and Jeffries again are having their playful banter that I just live for. And he says it's like Godzilla versus Megalon. Um, and my brother and I are big Godzilla fans. We love Legendary. And uh, it just cracks me up because I feel like not many people would get this reference unless you're big nerds like I am. Yeah, I didn't get that so. reference. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Yeah, like, I didn't um, put it I didn't put it in the notes because I didn't get the reference. I was like, if she gets it, she'll put it in the notes. I know she will. So Yeah, so... Um, it's one of my it's one of my favorite uh, Godzilla movies, but Megalon is actually my favorite monster from the Godzilla monster verse. So it just was cute that he referenced that, and it just makes me more of a munch stan. But anyway, yeah, um, <laughs> just wanted to throw that in there. So we go back to the hospital where the dad is there with Teresa, but we find out that. The dad and the daughter legally changed her name to Jasmine. Um, and it's a trademark kind of like uh, Cher or Jewel. Beyonce. Beyonce. <laughs> they didn't even use Beyonce as a reference. They used Jewel. I know. <laughs> they used Jewel, which is to, just to show you how long ago this was. <laughs> hmm Essentially, they just want her to have, like, a one single name. So when she gets famous, it's, like, easier for people to remember. Exactly. Yeah. So the dad was worried about being a troublemaker, and he didn't call 911 or anybody at 3 o'clock in the morning when he was worried about his daughter. Because, again, he didn't want to be a troublemaker. Um, He left Jasmine in the care of her agent. Um, her agent's name is 
completely and totally Nina. Ni- yeah, Nina something. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nina went to the shoot and left at about ten. She didn't know anything about the drugs that she says she didn't know anything about the drugs that Jasmine was on. Um, and when she left, she said supposedly the photographer was in charge. Gross. Yes. <laughs> Very <laughs> much so. Um, the photographer, whose name is Carl per- Carlo Parisi, um, doesn't remember when Jasmine left. He runs a clean set, so no drugs. According to him. According anyway. to him. <laughs> Um, something I wanted to point out in this scene is when they're interviewing the photographer, Olivia has sunglasses on. And I originally wrote this note because I felt like the sunglasses were like a very no bullshit thing. She was like, I don't have time to take off my sunglasses to look at you. I'm in charge here. I'm asking the questions, yeah. you know. Um, and it's funny because this is actually a runner throughout this episode. Yes. Uh and I didn't realize that when I left the note. I was just commenting on how cute she looked in sunglasses. Yes. Um, and then I, as we go on, we'll see why sunglasses play a role. So if you're watching at home, look out for that because I'm tracking it. Yes. <laughs> um, Olivia recognizes the assistant on set as a survivor who testified against her rapist, who was coined the measuring man. Which is interesting how astute Olivia's memory is, which is going to be something that never goes away. No. Um, I, you know, we could even say perhaps she has a f- photographic memory because she remembers everything all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's interesting to me that she sees this assistant and she's like, oh, you testified against this rapist called the measuring man. Like, I remember that. And the assistant's like, oh, yeah, good memory. And it's also important to know that the assistant is also wearing sunglasses. Yes. Which can change the look of somebody. A lot of people will, you know, put on sunglasses and throw up a hood to disguise themselves. Um, So Elliot and Olivia... And also, I feel like it's... um the sunglasses kind of are a mark of power yeah. too, throughout this episode. Yeah. You'll see that when people are wearing sunglasses, they're a bit more confident than if they weren't. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Elliot and Olivia go to talk to the measuring man, quote unquote, Ricky Blaine, um, who poses as a modeling scout and they question him like a suspect. And this, the actor who plays him reminds me of Vince Vaughn. But yeah. Not Vince Vaughn. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're right. Um, <laughs> this is one of my favorite parts of the episode, and I don't know why, but it is. His alibi is that he was watching the football game, but he gets the teams that were playing wrong. He said something like Steelers and something else. And Olivia's like, uh, no, Cowboys 49ers. And, like, I love that line. Like. I love that she knew. Exactly. <laughs> it was just so cute. It's it's another one of those things where she's just trying to be one voice. Yeah. Yeah. But in like, a good way. Girls can yeah. play football, too. Exactly. <laughs> um. The measuring man tries to measure Olivia. Elliot tells him to stay at home and watch football. 
which you forgot to point out, and yes. I left a note about it. Olivia full on like kicks this guy, knees this guy in the groin. Yes, after he you know tries to he basically tries to pretend that he's still a modeling scout and he want he's like flirting with olivia trying to get her to be interested in him which means he's literally doing the thing that he was just on trial for yeah um, or previously was on trial for so that's why she need him in the groin and elliot just let her do it and he's like all right yeah <laughs> yeah uh maybe <laughs> next time just stay home and watch football yeah <laughs> So we're back in the squad room and Munch says Jasmine was sent home from the photo shoot after she failed a weigh-in. Yeah, so this is kind of um, something important to talk about. She yeah. failed a weigh-in for being overweight, I believe. Um, yeah. It's not like a wrestling weigh-in. In wrestling, you know, when competitors are weighed it's so that they can compete safely with people in their weight class and no one will get exactly um and modeling if you fail a weigh-in no matter how beautiful you are if you're one pound that they deem overweight they basically don't let you work at least in this particular modeling environment that we're looking at in the episode yeah um and i think it's just important to you know, talk about all the different layers of body image and self-esteem and eating disorders and all of this stuff that kind of goes along with how women are perceived in the media, um, particularly in the modeling industry. When you think of a supermodel, you think like tall and super skinny and uh, eat anything, you know, uh, and I think they're really hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. Um, so Uh, it's not okay, basically, is what I was trying to say. It's not okay. Um, and again, this is the modeling industry back in 1999. This isn't, I mean, current day modeling industry is also pretty rough when it comes Mm -hmm. to weight, but I feel like it's relaxed a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's still not okay. (sighs) Yeah, um, but it it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> they find out that her best friend was with her. So they go to track her down, and they wind up running into um, <laughs> Lenny Briscoe and Eddie Green, who are from Homicide, from the mothership, um, find out that she was murdered as well. Yeah. Um, so their their um victim, which is Vanessa Wong, yes, is now SVU's witness. Yes. So there's a little more crossover with homicide and SVU here. Yeah. yeah. So now we go to the stable the Stabler's house, and this is where that trigger warning really comes in with that whole crass thing. Mm-hmm. Um. Maureen is yeah. So Kathy yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> so they're having um, breakfast and Maureen is eating very, very little. And mm-hmm. Kathy kind of pulls Elliot aside and he asks how long that's been going on. And I like hate even saying this line. Yeah. And the way, so Kathy, um, 
she says it very nonchalant, but she's talking to Elliot and she's like, oh, the little anorexic and training routine. Um, talking about how Maureen has uh, particularly focused in on what she's eating and she's deemed certain foods as bad and certain foods as good mm-hmm. and she refuses to eat 90% of the food that's on her plate in front of her. Um, and she's fairly young. I want to say she's in middle school. Um, she's either and, like in eighth grade or she's like very early in high school, I think, at this point. Yeah. yeah. And so obviously yeah. the thing that Kathy said it was meant to be kind of humorous, kind of like a little bit of an attitude towards Maureen here. Um, Can be very triggering, is very triggering. Uh, Not something that we should probably be saying anymore. Yeah, no. Um, However, I think it is important that Elliot noticed it and showed concern about his daughter and talked to his wife about it to find out when it started. And Mm -hmm. Kathy was like, she listens to you. Can you you know, try to talk to her about food, talk to her about healthy eating habits, things like that. Yeah. Um, so I think it came from a good place of like, they have, they're frustrated and they don't really know how to handle it. Elliot cares for his daughter clearly and wants to be able to help her. Um, and it's things that parents are going to deal with, you know, not every kid is going to have issues like this, but some will. Yeah. And, um, I think it's kind of important to talk about like, Maybe don't say things like that, um, especially yeah. where your daughter can hear it. But research, talk to medical professionals, talk to other people to figure out what the best way is for you to handle bringing that up uh, and helping your daughter or your son. Yes. Or whoever. Um And Elliot, you know, I think it came from a good place, so I don't fault them for it. I do think it was a little bit crass, but... He sits down with her and tries to talk to her about it. And, of course, she's a teenager, so she's like, leave me alone. Yeah. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> um, but he's making an effort, and I think that's important. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just – that line, for whatever reason, it just, like, hard to say. It's very bold. Yeah. It's, like, kind of unexpected of, like, how could you be so insensitive about this? With your Um, daughter sitting right there. Right. But it also reminds me of, like, the way my parents would probably have handled that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, It's familiar to me. Mm -hmm. And not that my parents have ever said anything like that, but it just, I I can see the the mentality. Like, I can see the thought process Kathy was having. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I don't think it's the right way to handle that kind of thing, whether you're talking about it with your spouse where your daughter can't hear it or not. Exactly. Um, so uh, it is a little uh, triggering. So, but I think it came from a good place. Like, I think they genuinely want to be there for her. Mm-hmm. So it is important to consider that, I guess. Yes. So we are. Back in the squad room where Lenny Briscoe and Eddie Green make another appearance from the mothership. Mm-hmm. And Munch gets all excited to see them. <laughs> yes. And then um, I forget his first name, but Minnie Briscoe, I'm going to call him Minnie Briscoe, yeah. um, gets all excited and he goes up and he's like, hey, Uncle Lenny. And he's like, 
can you not? <laughs> yeah. If you remember, I think in the first episode, I was like, who is this guy? And Coley was like, oh, it's it's Minnie Briscoe. Yeah. Um, he's hanging out in SVU doing some sort of work there. And he keeps reappearing every episode. Yeah. <laughs> and um, turns out he's Lenny Briscoe's uh, nephew. Nephew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's like, well, if I can't call you Uncle Lenny, what am I going to call you? And he's like, Briscoe. And he's like, okay, well, then what are you going to call me? And he's like, Briscoe. <laughs> <laughs> like, duh. Which is such a funny last name to me. Yeah. But anyway. Anyway. Um, Jeffries is still saying that it's acquaintance or an acquaintance as they go over the timeline um, of what happened of Jasmine getting dropped off for hair and makeup to Jasmine being dropped at the ER at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So, um, you know, I love, we're about to talk about Jeffries a lot, but I love that she's very upfront, mm-hmm. blunt, I, I guess that's the word. Um, and she's like, yeah, it's definitely someone that knew her. Like, you cannot convince me otherwise. And to set the scene a little bit, we're in the squad room with a chalkboard, which really dates <laughs> the show. Right. <laughs> and um, Olivia and Elliot are basically going through the facts with the entire squad. And they're like, help us figure this out. And Jeffries is like, oh, it's for sure someone that knows her. It's at least an acquaintance. Like, this is, that's what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, and it's also important to note that Jeffries, too, Olivia is not the first woman in the unit. Jeffries has been there for a while. Yeah. Uh, so I like when Jeffries hops in on a case because I feel like it gives Olivia a bit of a backing, uh, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And so they're going over the timeline of the crime and they're talking about all of that. Um, sitting in the squad room, I love when they nonchalantly just like sit on their desks. <laughs> it's just cute. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite is when they're nonchalantly sitting on their desks eating Chinese food. Always with the Chinese food. Do they eat nothing else? I mean, Cragen eats his red vines, but other than that... To quote Olivia in a later season, if it doesn't come in a takeout container, it's not food. <laughs> uh, that makes me think of A Single Life, our last episode. Yeah. Um, but I digress. So... Oh. They go back to the hospital and talk to Teresa slash Jasmine's mother. Um, she and Teresa slash Jasmine. This, this is where it gets confusing. I apologize for saying Teresa slash Jasmine, but the mom calls her Teresa and the dad calls her Jasmine. So it's confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The mother and father of Teresa slash Jasmine are at odds. Um, the father wants Jasmine to model. He wound up with full custody of her. The mom wants her kind of to come back home and have like a normal life. And she tried to get custody, but was told she wasn't home enough. So that wound up breaking up their marriage was... Um, the father's desire to have Jasmine model. Mm-hmm. Um, then we go, which is kind of gross. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> very much so. Um, 
Then we go into the courtroom where Jeffries is testifying against a dad um, who is raising his son who raped a girl in an environment that condones rape after they seized a comic book called Rape Man from his house. Um, she's testifying against him as an accessory to rape. Yeah, and the uh, defense is saying, oh, what did you find? What was your evidence? And then basically they're arguing like, oh, you just found a little comic book. This is not evidence towards a house filled with pro-rape culture environmental tendencies or whatever yeah and she um and then the huh. i was gonna say and she lists off a bunch of magazines that have like nude or risque pictures in them mm-hmm. so she mentions playboy and a couple others uh and to me this kind of makes me angry because it's like having a playboy or even watching porn having porn in your house is not indicative of rape culture yeah but this particular comic book that is about a superhero who rapes women as his superpower is. Yes. Um, and I love that the prosecution comes back uh, to re-talk uh, to Jeffries again. And she takes the comic book and she walks over to the jury and she's pretending to look at the comic book. But by doing that, the jury's getting to look at the comic book mm-hmm. and really assess the situation Um, and the prosecutor even says it's in japanese and jeffries is like you can kind of tell from the imagery what's going on right it's it's a graphic novel Mm -hmm. so um and i also like that svu always has kind of a second case going on uh where you get to see the detectives in court yeah like last our last episode was with Cassidy and learning his, you know, detective terminology. Yes. So, um, I do like this little, like, bonus thing with Jeffries. Um, especially because stuff like this happens all the time. And we don't talk enough about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, so, then we find out that um, we're out of court now. And we find out that just Jasmine, why is it every episode I wind up saying I can't talk? That doesn't bode well for a podcast. <laughs> Jasmine. We should get merch that says that. <laughs> seriously. Jasmine was at a party for Hampton Trill, who is an author's newest novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And Munch, another, I'm just, you know what, I'm I'm just a Munch stan. That will be my merch, is I, I'm a Munchie. But I love this scene so much because he's talking to this author, he's talking to Hampton Trill, and he's saying that Hampton Trill rips off this other author that Munch really likes. And Hampton Trill says, oh, well, she's a good friend of mine. And Munch goes, that poor woman. Yes. <laughs> and I just... I just love it. He thinks on his feet so well, and that's, like, the way to my heart. Like, for sure. I love good banter. So, I just thought that was funny. (laughs) Yeah. He was specifically talking about Joan Didion. And Munch is our comedic relief every episode, so. (laughs) Yes. Um, so... 
then we go back to the set of another photo shoot where Carlo Parisi is being disgusting as just his character (laughs) um, to talk to him um, about Vanessa Wong. They wound up finding prescriptions for benzos and all of them. Well, they call them bennies, but they're Mm -hmm. benzos. Um, All were written from a doctor who hasn't practiced in years due to a motorcycle accident that left him, I believe, a quadriplegic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which means they weren't written by him. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But then we, it jumps to uh, Elliot's at the hospital talking to a psychiatrist. Yeah, I believe it's Dr. Olivet, but I didn't put that because I wasn't positive. Right. Um, But he he ends up bringing up Maureen kind of nonchalant, like doesn't say that it's her outright, Mm -hmm. but he's talking about Maureen because he's actively trying to learn, you know, why does someone develop an eating disorder? How can I help them? Which Elliot has a lot of faults, but he tries really hard to be a good dad, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so it, she, the psychiatrist basically defines the line between dieting and anorexia and what draws people to anorexia, particularly uh, having a sense of control. And she basically, you know, tells Elliot, he kind of just has to wait and watch. Don't be too invasive. Don't push too much. Don't be too argumentative. Mm-hmm. You know, be be there for her in the ways that you can be there for her without, you know, inducing a teenager reaction, basically. Because <laughs> when you exactly. cry too much into a teen's life, they're going to be like, screw you and run upstairs and slam the door. Um, which is not always what Elliot wants to hear, but perhaps what he needs to hear Mm -hmm. um, because he is not the wait and watch type. He is very much, he's very confrontational in nature and the psychiatrist advises him not to be that way because you can't approach it that way or you're not going to be able to help her. Exactly. Um, And then back to that point about the way they approach this being kind of crass uh, after Elliot receives this helpful information from the psychiatrist he goes home and he walks in the house and Kathy and Maureen are sitting in the kitchen and he looks at Kathy and basically says hey do you want to go on a date there's a new Italian restaurant down the street and Kathy's like yeah I want to go on a date which is super cute by the way yeah and um Maureen's like I'm not going to eat Italian food and he's like you're not invited yeah and it always just makes me giggle because that on the surface if we weren't talking about Maureen possibly having an eating disorder, that scene standalone would be very funny. Yes. Um, And so it does make me giggle. And I think it is kind of crass, but it's also kind of comedic relief to this very serious topic. Um, And it's cute that Elliot and Kathy still go on dates, you know, even though they have a bajillion children and he works all the time. Yeah. Um, But it also was showing that he's actively taking the approach that the psychiatrist advised him to do. So I think all around uh, this episode is very much kind of contrasting Elliot in the last episode of showing like, Hey, he is actively trying to be a good dad, even though he's never home. And Kathy has to be kind of the man of the house, so to speak. Yeah. 
Um, and I, the whole reason I didn't put that scene in the in the notes was because I didn't exactly know how to talk about it. Because mm-hmm. I love that scene too. I love it. I think it's so. I just think it's cute, and it um is kind of wholesome family to me. Of like, they're just teasing her. You know, they're like, you don't have to eat it. You're not invited. Like, yeah we're going on a date because we're allowed to because we're married you know exactly um and i think it's cute so even as a standalone scene away from the serious topics we're talking about it's cute um i do think maybe you could interpret it as being kind of insensitive but i don't think that was the goal i don't think so either no i think it was just a little cute addition to the episode really yeah so then i suppose it's the next day they're at this like huge mail in mail order pharmacy place like company that does a lot of work with this doctor who was paralyzed in the motorcycle accident and he has dozens of patients with this mail in pharmacy but they're all getting sent to the same address and Olivia's like, that's something the corner pharmacist might have caught on to. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just interesting to me how... Do you ever, like, watch something and you're like, how did they even think to organize that or do that? Like, it wouldn't even occur to me how to put all that together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. But they go back to the squad room and Cragen's like, well, seems you may have just stepped into a controlled substance case with narcotics. And they're complaining because narcotics are the, the I believe they call them Boy Scouts, who just kind of step too fast. Um, mm-hmm. Which is interesting because later on, a character will come from narcotics to work in SVU. Yeah. Uh, and um they don't quite tease him the way that they talk about narcotics prior to him being there which i think is funny yeah um so something i i wanted to point out also was that they what is her name is it nina that the agent yeah i think her name is nina her her first name's nina but i don't remember her last name yeah um they call her the drug dealer to the stars. Yeah. Which I actually think should have been the name of this episode. Probably. But, um, um, also, uh, never mind. You go ahead. <laughs> I would say you're skipping like a few lines there, but that's okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, all of these prescriptions that are getting sent go to a P.O. box. So a courier picks up the box of pills repackages them and then sends them with the return address from Nina Nina's agency um so they wind up going to the agency with narcotics busting in and it's like this you know this is a raid just he looks like your typical narcotics uh I think he was the one that Cragen suggested that they have come do that. Joey Poole. Yeah, because he's like, he's a big guy. 
He looks like a meathead. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, the agent winds up being the one selling these drugs to, like, rich and famous people. The drug dealer to the stars. Mm -hmm. Um, Elliot and Olivia question her about the drugs and the Polaroids that um, she mentioned that Parisi had of himself and some underage models in compromising positions. Yeah. Um, she doesn't give them up right away, though. No. Which is interesting. Um, and then also, she says that the that Parisi said to her that the girls he was taking pictures of, one of them, I think she's referring to Jasmine, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says that he said that Jasmine Lewinsky'd him, like Monica Lewinsky. Yeah, I hate that. Uh, I hate it. It's very topical for the time period. Uh, but it's, I I wrote a note here that it's definitely hate speech against women in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of hate it because, like, however you stand on Monica Lewinsky, like, it doesn't really matter. It's it's hurtful to use her name in that kind of connotation. Yeah. But also, it's clear that Parisi was using his power, his ability as a photographer to basically casting couch these young women, Pretty minors much. and otherwise. So she wasn't Lewinskying anything. If anything, he was the one doing that. So it's just like hurtful on all levels yeah and i mean if you look back at it the whole monica Lewinsky quote-unquote scandal happened just as like the internet was coming to pick up so monica Lewinsky was the first real person that we like have a name of to be cyber bullied mm, that's interesting she uh I don't she did a TED talk. She did a TED talk about it. Yeah, that's so crazy. It's She's so interesting. Quite funny on Twitter, actually. Yeah, that's what I was <laughs> gonna say. Is I see her. She tweets about it all the time about being the most hated woman on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just hate that for her because, like, people are human beings. At the end of the day, what do you, what do you expect? You know? Yeah. Um. But anyway, I don't like using her name as a slur. However, I do understand and note that it was topical per the time period. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. So, um, then we go back to the squad room. Um, Yeah. So, they're talking about um, dumpster diving for evidence mm -hmm. in the squad room. And Olivia and Elliot are actually about to leave because they're going to head to go back to the photographer's office I guess um, I'm not sure what you would call it your photo shoot area slash office studio um, because they're going to try to studio thank you you're welcome uh, they're going <laughs> they're going to try to find the scandalous Polaroids because they need evidence you know that whole shebang and then they get there, and my favorite freaking part about this scene is that Munch and Cassidy go with them because they need two detectives to arrest and two to find the evidence. Um, 
and I just like when they're all working together. Yeah, <laughs> it makes me happy. If only Jeffrey um, went with them. I know. Then we'd have everybody. Yeah. Uh, because captains, the captains don't usually. They have to be out captaining, you know, so they don't usually show up. So Cragen wouldn't be there, um, yeah. unless he had to be. So it was just cute having having the whole gang there, uh, and then, you know, they're questioning what is his last name. I kept writing uh, Carlo, but I know his last name. Parisi. It's Parisi because it it sounds like another detective's last name that I yes. know. Um, but anyway, they're basically questioning him about the Polaroids. He claims that his entire relationship with Jasmine was consensual, uh, but we know he was actually casting couching a minor, which if you don't know what that is, it's pretty much, it's a Hollywood term of like, usually men in power and women, young women that want to achieve career careers in modeling, acting, things like that, where men take advantage of them to have sex with them to help them get to places in their career that they might not have otherwise it's horrible it's awful and that's exactly what our photographer friend was doing to jasmine yes um but it should also there's a joke about- that regardless of whether he was like doing this casting couch with minors or just doing anything with minors that it would still not be consensual <laughs> so that's what i was about to say um regardless of how it went about it is still illegal she was a child um and basically he admits to that they say at one point um i can't remember who says it but they say that jasmine they made her sit for her oral exams that was Um, olivia yeah so that was just another little crass joke about the whole thing uh, and basically they arrest him. So Munch and Cassidy take him off. Um, and they're going through all his stuff. They're going through his file cabinets, things like that. And Elliot finds a, uh, not a scrapbook, but kind of a scrapbook. It's, it's just a photo book, um, of our photographer friend and find out that he was engaged to Deborah, who is the co-owner of his photography business. Mm-hmm. And Deborah, Deborah, Deborah's the woman who we've been calling the assistant. Mm-hmm. So she was the one with the sunglasses towards the beginning of the episode that was the assistant there who testified against um, the measuring, the measuring man. Thank you. And uh, Deborah was the one that basically told everybody about the photographer's dirty Polaroids. Mm-hmm. So now we've got him taken care of. We got to go back to the squad room because now we got to talk to Deborah and figures out figure out what the hell she knows because she's got to be able to help us, right? Um, and it's interesting because you catch her in sunglasses again inside in the squad room. Yeah, and this to me is what really brought it full circle because I was like, she wears those sunglasses and it protects her, but it gives her her power back almost Mm -hmm. um, so that she can talk to the detectives confidently and things like that. And we'll get more into that in a second. Um, But basically Deborah's not giving Carlo up. She's like, I'm not going to talk. It's, it's just, it is what it is. And, 
Olivia and Elliot go back outside and talk to Munch and Cassidy and they're like, Hey, can you have him, Carlo come sit out here? And can you tell him basically that Deborah gave him up even though she didn't? And Munch is like, Oh, a prisoner's dilemma. Nice. And then Cassidy's like, what's that? And Munch basically explains that you take the two suspects and you tell them the other one turned on them so that they'll start revealing everything. Yeah. And then he gets all excited and it's so adorable. Yes. <laughs> Cassidy's like, oh my God, I love this job. Um, he's like, I'll go get a break now. <laughs> yeah. I love him. And so it's so cute. He's so innocent when he's so baby. Yeah. Um, but it's, it is cute. And then they do it basically. Um, and so they do a, like a perp walk type of thing where they bring Deborah out of the room she was in to take her to another room but on her way there she's gonna see our nice photographer friend sitting there basically giving her up to munch and cassidy um so there's like a a tussle for a second between the two and then they get them separated um and deborah yeah and this is where i think it's interesting really quick before we talk about the sunglasses coming off um, I think it's really interesting that his l- birth name is not Carlo Parisi. It's Carl Parsley. Oh, yeah. And she, yeah. <laughs> um, it reminds me of Jasmine, how we were talking about, like, stage names, yeah. basically. And changing your name so that it's a little more Hollywood, a little more of something people will resonate with and remember. I mean, I would um, change my last name if it was Parsley, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he changes it to Carlo Parisi. And essentially what happened, and Deborah goes into telling us now, is that... She- she was already a, a well-established model. She had worked with several famous different agents, modeling industry people, mm-hmm. and she fell in love with him. He was her whole world, and he wanted to be a photographer. So she would go to work with these big modeling publications and say, hey, you can't shoot me unless we have Carlo as the head photographer. So she basically gave him his career and gave him the power to do what he did. Yeah. Um. And this is where Deborah takes off her sunglasses and you see her eye wound from the measuring man, which is not Carlo. No. But you see now why she wears the sunglasses and how they have a certain protection that gives her the power to talk because when she wears them, you don't see her eye injury. You don't equate that to anything. But at the same time, um, I also think she wears them because I think she is blind in that one eye. Um, yes. So she wears them to literally protect her eye from, like, sunlight. To literally help her, yeah. Um, it, it's just interesting to me because you also saw that with Olivia at the beginning of the episode, too. Yeah. Um, but here, Deborah starts to turn on Carlo after she takes her glasses off. She admits that uh, the photos were of girls and women basically saying like, hey, I was angry because these he was betraying me, but they were also betraying me because a lot of the women in the, the Polaroids were people she knew. Yeah. Um, she brings up the weigh-in again here. 
basically saying that after Jasmine's weigh-in went down, Deborah kind of went crazy because she knew that Jasmine and her best friend Vanessa were involved with Carlo in these photos and things. Mm-hmm. Um, Deborah admits to killing them, basically. She, well, not killing them because Jasmine's in a coma at the moment, but she killed ja- or <laughs> shot Jasmine and then killed Vanessa. Was Jasmine was shot? There. Yes. I didn't think she was I shot. Think she did shoot her. No, I think she was just hit with the claw hammer. Oh, you're yeah. right. Because she she talks about the hammer hitting her teeth. Yeah. For some reason I was thinking that was a bullet when she said hammer. Gotcha. But that makes more yeah. sense. Um because she Je- Debra details the hammer hitting Jasmine's teeth and kind of what it sounded and looked like. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they're still talking to her and she says, oh, well, Carla wanted to make it look like we sexually abused Jasmine uh, to kind of, like, remove them from the case in a way. Yeah. And uh, he sexually assaulted her with the hammer. Uh, so... It kind of was trying, they were doing that to make it seem like they weren't going to be guilty to kind of avoid them being targeted for suspects. Um, And then Olivia kind of asks her, like, why did you call Carlo after all that was over? Why would you, why would you associate with him after you guys did that? And Deborah's like, hey, you know, he's my whole world. He's all I have. Yeah. Um, And then she puts her sunglasses back on and the minute they go onto her face, her entire demeanor changes mm-hmm. and she looks at the detectives and she says, but you can never turn back the clock. Can you? And then she, you know, that line gives me, chills. that's like it. That line gives me chills. every time. Every time. Because and it's just like, she goes from being an emotional mess to being just calm and like, her voice gets deeper and it's like, but you can never turn yeah. back the clock. Can you? Sun back, sunglasses back on and her powers back in, yeah. you know? Um, but then we head back out to the squad room and I believe it's Munch that tells Olivia and Elliot that Jasmine passed away in the hospital, yeah. um, which makes it a murder case as mm-hmm. well. And that's how we go out. Yep. That's the end of the episode. That's crazy. Um, I feel like this episode was jam-packed with so much. It really was. Yeah. Lots of serious topics in this one. Yeah. For sure. But um, we can get into our tarot reading now. Yeah. Fun. I'm just going to shuffle my cards really quick. I'm using... The Trippin' Weight Tarot deck, which um, is like a rendition or an homage to the original Weight Tarot deck, um, but it's made to look like you're on LSD, basically. Nice. Like you're tripping. It's my favorite card deck, um, but it's a little bit hefty because there's some extra cards in it, so it might take me a minute to... Oh, all right. So, let me pull this up. I have pulled 
the Queen of Cups. And I'm going to read to you what that means as soon as I can find it. All right. So the Queen of Cups is a... So this... The guidebook that I use for this is it tells you literally what the card looks like. And then I kind of do my interpretation. Of mm-hmm. it. Um, so the queen of cups is a compassionate woman who brings with her nurturing love and sensitivity. This is the person who just magically seems to know your heart's desire and may have intuitive psychic abilities. So when I pull this cup in readings, I often um, kind of think of a mother figure for this kind of thing, but also I use it as a reminder to, bring positivity into your life so you may need when you pull cards for yourself a lot of the time it's very direct but when you pull cards for other people they interpret it like oh this is what I need to get this to happen or whatever and sometimes it isn't when you pull the queen of cups you could be the compassionate woman in your life you could be entirely intuitive and psychic you could be the person that knows what you need. And so going back to our self-love affirmation of self-care, I think this is really relevant. Yeah. Um, Because it's saying like, hey, show yourself a little love and a little bit of compassion this week and don't be so hard on yourself. You know what your heart needs and you are intuitive enough to take that time. I like that. Yeah. I love that card too. It's really pretty. Yeah. You'll probably see a picture of it on our social media tomorrow. So make sure to check that out. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's our episode. That's it. And we did it in under an hour and a half. That never happens. I know. That's crazy. I feel like we ran through it. Real yeah. Quick. <laughs> um, but if you've made it this far, thank you for listening. Make sure to follow us at SVU Coven on Instagram and Facebook. We also have a Facebook group called Witch Detectives. If you want to join it, we'll get on it and get more active. Yes. Um, and if you're interested, subscribe to our Patreon for behind-the-scenes content. It's patreon.com slash svucoven. And if you want to be a guest on the show or have any questions for us you want us to answer, it's email us at svucoven at gmail.com. Perfect. Yeah. All right. All right. That's our episode. Bye, little witch detectives. Bye, little witch detectives. (laughs) Blessed be. Blessed be.